Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Um, so as you heard earlier, we're starting out a new series on Advent today, and I get to do the first one, which was hope. There's been sort of a common theme throughout. And um, I don't know if you guys have Advent calendars, but we have very intricate Advent calendars at home. And it's all part about, it's all part of the joyful waiting for, waiting for Christ and, and, and what that represents. Um, Advent really prepares us for Christmas. Um, so my preach today is titled Defending Hope. And it's all about hope. Okay, so what do you think of when you think about hope and Christmas? Okay, for me, it's not the most Christian thing, but I think about the Home Alone 1 movie when the mother is in the lineup at the airport or she's talking to the, the ticket attendant and he's saying that all the flights are full and there's nothing he can do and, and this is it. And she says, what? Now that I've gotten this far, you're telling me it's hopeless? It is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. That's right. So it is the season of perpetual hope start it and there must be hope because it's Christmas time but I think as we look at the climate around us sometimes it's it's pretty hard to believe that we are in a season of perpetual hope there's war there's disease there's economic downturn there's um, death and we have to remind ourselves that big biblically biblically around Christmas it is supposed to be the time of perpetual hope um, Kevin, Kevin McAllister's mom is right. She was she was spot on. And going back to the video that, or the, yeah, it's a video. I don't know. Are they called something different? The video that we just hope that we just watched. The the definition of hope is that we're waiting, expecting for a better future than what we have right now. And if we look around the story of Christ's birth, and I'm gonna make some assumptions for time's sake that we know. We're talking about Mary and Joseph and Jesus, baby in the manger, going to Bethlehem. Um, the Jewish people are hoping and they're waiting and they're expecting the Messiah. who And Messiah really means anointed one or the chosen one who is going to come and help deliver them from political oppression. Because at the time when Jesus was born, it was really a third world context under a military dictatorship. So they were, they were waiting and they were waiting and um, John the Baptist comes and he's baptizing people and Luke 3, 15 says that everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. This reminds me of waiting at the airport with my kids, my husband John, he works away, um, different places and often especially when they were little we would be waiting in these chairs I think the airport has changed but the chairs and then the ramp would be behind us and be like turn around is that him no not him is that him is that him? no that's a really ugly lady nope turn around <laughs> and it was and it's this expectation and this hoping and and then of course he's always the last one off when we're inside but when we're late then he's the first one off but um they're waiting and they're expecting and they're hoping and they're praying just like what the season of Advent is all about. Now, in, in the Christian faith and the Christian hope, we believe that what we've 
been hoping for has arrived in the form of Jesus, that he was born as a baby, that he lived and he died, and most importantly, that he was resurrected and ascended and now is seated at the Father's right hand. That's that's what the Bible says. Um, Judaism, Jews don't, don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. My little nephew Marley, he's five, he listens to podcasts by an old Jewish grandma that tells stories. We're like, and it talks a lot about what we talk about, but we're like, Marley, do you notice there's anything missing? Yeah, they don't talk about Jesus. That's right. So the reason, the reason why um, a, lot of, a lot of people don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah is because when the prophecies were given, there were almost two conflicting descriptions of what he would be like. Isaiah 53 talks about that he would be a suffering servant. He would be lowly. He would be humble. He would be beaten for our transgressions, our sin. And then if you go to another part of Isaiah, Isaiah 9-6, it says that this is a very classic Christmas, Christmas verse. It says, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Mighty Counselor. Is it? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So if you try to reconcile these, okay, he's going to be a lowly servant who's going to be beaten and killed. But then, you know, he's going to be a mighty king and his his government will not end. It's, it's hard to see, you know, where Jesus is in there. So for a lot of Jewish people, they're They are still waiting. They are still hoping for the Messiah to come. And the Christmas season for us as Christians is about that hopeful anticipation that freedom is coming and his name is Jesus. And not only has he come, but he is to come, right? Um, I'm going to take a a break from the Christmas story for a second and go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter that Peter uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples wrote to persecuted Christians in uh, the five regions of Asia Minor. And they're, they're being tortured. They're being killed. It's, it's much beyond cancel culture. It's elimination culture, right? Uh, they're lacking the necessities that they need, the resources. And they're, they're feeling really hopeless. And morale is low. And Peter says in uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 14, he says... But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense um, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it so, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, so they're suffering, and he's telling them, don't be afraid, don't be troubled. But honor God by being ready to defend the hope that you have within you. So when people question, why are you able to remain hopeful in this really hopeless situation? Be ready with a response. Defending our hope means being ready to resist attack or to protect the hope that's within us. And reading this just reminds me that hope and suffering go so closely together because you don't generally hope for a better future when you're content with what you have right now. You might hope that it doesn't change, but that's not really hope. That's fear. But when pain and suffering um, get loud, our hope has to get louder. 
uh, Revelations 12 says that he over that they overcame him. That's the devil or the evil, the darkness, by the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice of Jesus, the word of their testimony. So when you can testify, when you can you can defend your hope, when you can proclaim your hope, you in a very real way start to um, bring light into the darkness and overcome the darkness. So what is this hope in Jesus? What is this all about and how can we defend it? Because I think we would agree that you don't necessarily need to be a Christian to say that you have hope. But putting our hope in ourselves or our hope in the world or our hope in the government looks very different than putting our hope in Jesus. And um, I want to give you a couple comparisons that should help you defend your hope, especially this Christmas season when we believe that our hope has arrived. So uh, the first difference between hoping in Jesus and hoping in the world is that hope in Jesus is a decision and hoping in the world is an outlook. So one is a decision based on faith, and the other one is an optimistic outlook. So optimism is about choosing to see how any, in any given circumstance that it's going to work out, that it's going to be okay. You know, this is like, okay, I'm hoping that the house prices go down, and I'm pretty optimistic because Bank of Canada keeps raising their interest rates, so people aren't going to be able to afford a house. So I can kind of see how this would work out and prices might go down. So that's hope in the world. Hope in Jesus says it doesn't really matter what happens to interest rates because I trust that God is my provider and that whether I get a house in this season or the next, I will have shelter. I will be okay. Um, Our decision to look outside of the circumstances and believe that there is a better future is based on hope. And it's, oh man, okay, so Christians sometimes do this. I mean, everybody sometimes does this. But instead of having faith, we have denial. It's like, I'm not sick. I'm fine. Well, you know, you're like, but God can't, God can't, uh, you, you rob the testimony when you don't say like, hey, things were not okay, but I'm clinging to this hope in Jesus, right? I'm clinging to the hope that, that even though I'm not all right, things are going to be okay Or if it doesn't turn out how I want to, I believe in a God who turns things around for the better. So our hope is based on trusting in God's word and that um, he does not lie and that he is faithful. He has been faithful and he always will be faithful. I know for me, I've been having to be a little bit more active in trying to write down and record the faithfulness of God because I think... Like, especially if you can be on the more cynical side, you can feel like, you know, that just that just happened. That just worked out, right? So I've been trying to be more deliberate in writing down, like, hey, this week a dryer broke down, but my husband was home, so I didn't have to call a repairman. <laughs> I saved 300 bucks. Yes. <laughs> and that that's a little thing. Last year, my husband got uh, wrongly accused of gold theft and was being threatened to uh, being putting in an African prison, and God delivered him from that. So that's a big thing. And you know what? If you don't have these stories, steal somebody else's. Like that's part of being, that's part of being in community. Is that you say, "Hey, God answered her prayer. I believe because of God's faithfulness in your life that He can do it in my life." And that's what our hope is. Christians are. It's it's that we're going to have faith, that it doesn't matter what it looks like now. 
I, I read a book um, recently about Billy Graham. Uh, he was a big American evangelist, and there's this whole chapter in it about leading and how being able to communicate optimism and hope is really important for a leader. And the irony of it is that it talks about that his family had nicknamed him Puddlegum. Puddlegum is a character from Chronicles of Narnia who is brave but always expects the worst. So, you know, good morning. Well, it might be a good morning, but I see a tiny cloud over there, right? So Billy Graham slash Puddlegum was always fighting his dubious and pessimistic um, tendencies. But after 9-11, President Bush asked him to address the nation and to bring hope. And he said this, this is a little excerpt from his speech. It said, a tragedy like this could have torn our country apart, but instead it has united us. So those perpetrators who took this on to tear us apart, it has worked the other way. It's backlashed. And we are more united than ever before. Difficult as it may be for us to see right now, this event can give us a message of hope, hope for the present and hope for the future. There also is hope for the future because of God's promises. As Christian, I have hope, not just for this life, but for heaven and the life to come. And many of those people who died this past week are in heaven now, and they wouldn't want to come back. It's so glorious and so wonderful. And that is the hope for all of us who put our faith in God. I pray that you will have this hope in your heart. And you don't, you know, as his life showed, you don't have to be an optimist to have hope. You don't even have to be an optimist to preach hope or share hope with others. Um, the Christian hope that we talk about and that Peter is telling us to defend is not led by our emotion, is not led by the weather, is not led by the economy, but it's, it's that we believe in the future that God has promised us even when we don't see any evidence that things are going to get better. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 says, it talks about fixing our eyes on the unseen things. It talks about um, that some things are temporary, but that we're supposed to fix our eyes on the eternal. These little troubles are, is that right? Yeah, these little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all our troubles seem like nothing. Things that are seen don't last forever. Things that are seen don't last forever. Sickness does not last forever. Death does not last forever. Um, being short of musicians does not last forever. Financial problems do not last forever. Divorce does not last forever. Your kids' problems do not last forever. But the things that are not seen are eternal. And this is why we keep our mind on the things that cannot be seen. So that's what the, the Christian hope um, the first difference between Christian hope and worldly hope is, is that it doesn't matter what's in front of you. Choose and make the decision to hope based on faith. The second distinction, um, and you know I've come up with these, so feel free to poke holes in them later, <laughs> uh, is that Christian hope is a living hope and that the worldly hope is a dead hope. So Proverbs 11.7 says that when the wicked die, their hopes die with them for they rely on their own feeble strength. And I think, like, logically, this makes sense to me. You know, when, when you die and you don't believe that there's anything beyond, the wor beyond this earth, your hope is going to die with you, right? Um, 
this is not talking about legacy. Like your legacy is more about what carries on after you. It can be your assets, your ethics, your morals. But your hope or your expectation uh, for the future when we're trusting in our own strength uh, will die. Hope ends because we can no longer anticipate the future, right? This is the dead hope. This is what happens when we hope in the world. But when we have a hope in Jesus... It is a living hope because Jesus was resurrected and is alive at the right side of God. You can believe that Jesus was born. You can believe in Bethlehem and the manger. And you can believe that he died. But if we don't believe that he was resurrected again, then our hope is six feet under, right? But it's a living hope. It's a hope that says, um, Peter says, so going back to Peter, First Peter one, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the CEV, which is the contemporary English version, says, um, by raising Jesus from the dead, he has given us a new life and a hope that lives on. That's really what living hope is about, is a hope that lives on. It lives on beyond us. So through Jesus, we have a hope that there is an inheritance for us in heaven that does not perish. It cannot be touched by death. It is undefiled, and it's something that we can look forward to. Our body may die, but our hope lives on. And what I love about this is that Christian hope, and I think he said this a bit in the videos, it's a, it's a bold hope. It believes 2 Timothy 1.10 that said Jesus came to abolish death and to bring life and light um, to bring life and immortality to life through the gospel. Can you believe that Jesus came to abolish death? This is bold. This is a bold hope. Um, if Jesus dies and I put my hope in him, then my hope does not die. Okay, so that's the second, the second difference. Living hope lives on. Dead hope dies, perishes. And the third distinction between hope in Jesus and hoping in the world is that when we hope in Jesus... Our hope is anchored to heaven. And when we hope in the world, our hope is anchored to the world. So if you have a boat that is um, anchored, it can be battered, but it doesn't move. Unless, of course, it's anchored to something that moves. So if I'm anchoring my hope to the world, and I'm trusting that the government's going to come through on... Um, fixing poverty, and I'm hoping that science will come through and, and address mental health issues. And then we, we get shaken by things like war, and, and um, then I'll be shaken too. We get, we get shaken, you know, when John, John was accused falsely, and it shakes, and because you're anchored to the world, it shakes you to the core. But when you say, when you're anchored to Jesus, you're steadfast in him. Um, the living hope that Peter talks about is this hope that anchors our souls to heaven. Hebrews says that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, which the curtain talks about the presence of God or the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner 
on our behalf and having become a high priest forever after order, the order of Melchizedek, which that talks about kings and priests. But um, so, so if you could get this p- picture that Jesus has gone before us into the presence of God, he's, he's, he's gone behind the curtain and he's permanently seated himself there. And so he's immovable. And so when we grab onto this hope, it's like the rope, right? So the rope and Jesus is the anchor who's in heaven. So now we're attached in a very real sense to heaven. Um, And when the storms of life, when when we get battered by life, we we don't move in the same way. We're not shaken in the same way. You know, when when divorce comes and, and sickness comes, we still grieve, of course, and we feel those things. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, it, that there's not pain in the world. In fact, it's the opposite. We, we, in the pain, we're not alone. In the suffering, we're not alone. But when those storms get louder, your opportunity to defend your hope gets even louder. Because I think people don't really want to know where your hope is when your life is going well, right? They, w- they want to know when, when the storm's coming, everybody else is shaken, are you going to remain hanging on to that, that rope, that hope? Are you still going to keep your faith in Jesus when it looks like nothing else is, is going as it should be? Job, who is uh, famous for being in the, in the Bible, Job is famous for being a man of outstanding character, but all this bad stuff happened to him, right? Um, he lost all of his livelihood and his children, and his friends are there, and they're telling him to curse God. And he says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I'm overwhelmed at the thought. So all this pain and disappointment can come and can rock my, bo- my boat, but I'm holding fast to heaven. And that's, that's um, what the difference is between the anchoring our souls to heaven and anchoring our souls to the world. So in this season, a perpetual hope. First of all, do you have a hope? Right? And if, if you know, you're hoping in Jesus, can you defend that hope? A hope that is not based on circumstance, a hope that's not based on optimism, but is based on the faithfulness of God, that it, a hope that is alive and anchored in heaven. For me, this is my defense for hope. I believe to my core that there is a God who is good even when life is not. Even when I don't get the things that I want and I think I should get, I still believe that God is good. I believe that sin separates us from relationship with God. And in order to restore our relationship, God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus as the payment for our sin. I believe that by believing in him and his death and resurrection that I am restored into relationship with God. You know, I'm restored back into that presence in heaven. Therefore, I will not die, but I will live eternally. After I leave this world, there is more to hope for. That's the hope that I have. And before we end, and I tried to make it a little bit more abbreviated because I know we're going longer. Before we end, I just want to give an invitation to anyone who has 
who's never had the joy of hoping in Jesus. It's, it's not a hope that will guarantee you an easy life. But it, it is a hope that lives on. And it is a hope that focuses you on the unseen things of the world and not what's in front of you. The Bible promises that if we confess with our mouth that, is, that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I just want to give a, a quick moment if there's anybody um, who would like to respond. We're not going to do a big thing, but um, I'll, I'll end with this. I pray, it's from Ephesians 1.18. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light, with light, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.